Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a little bit, it's been a little while since uh, we've spoken. We had Shavuos last week, or this week actually. I hope it was beautiful for everybody. Um, you guys are probably surprised to see me clean shaven. It's been a moment since uh, probably haven't seen me clean shaven since before Pesach. I'm still getting used to seeing myself. I get scared in the mirror. I'm like, who's this stranger in my house? Um, it's good to see you all. I want to thank you all for coming and for joining. I want to thank also the amazing folk over at Yeshua Beth Yehuda and Partners Detroit for facilitating these, um, these learning sessions and, and classes. If people would want, I would love to hear um, if everyone can put in whether they'd be interested in coming back to real life. Like if you're interested, for all those of you who are on Zoom, would you be interested if we were to do a class in person, a lunch and learn, we would have lunch again by Jerusalem Pizza, and all that. So please put in the in the in the chat. I'm going to have my 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 good man over here. Hi, Saffron. We'll take take count. Please put into the chat. We would continue to be on Zoom, of course. But if we were to make it live in person in Southfield, like we used to have it, like the olden times when we used to meet like face to face and all that, if you'd be interested in coming, okay. And um, that is number one. Number two, I want to thank also the incredible folk over at Torah Anytime. It's an app. It's a website. And it's filled with billions of hours of incredible Jewish thought on every topic imaginable in every language spoken, except for da -da -da, Malaysian. Yes, Torah Anytime discriminates against Malays. There are no classes in Malaysian on Torah Anytime yet. If you know a rabbi who speaks and gives classes in Malaysian and they would like to be on the Torah Anytime website, please have them reach out to the Torah Anytime website. In the meantime, they've got French, they've got English, they've got Russian, they've got Yiddish, they've got Hebrew, and all kinds, and they've got uh, all kinds, Arabic, I believe even, because of some Spartan who speak Arabic. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty super fly. I also want to thank my brother, Azriel Burnham, for having set me up, and we are now available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Google Play Podcasts, on Android Podcasts. So if you want to find me, it's called Burnham on the Parsha, Burnham on the Parsha. Let's get started because we got a big Parsha. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Nusso, the biggest of the big. It's actually not the longest reading because there are many times where we read two Parshas together. And when we read two Parshas together, they are many more psukim than we're going to be reading today. However, not today, this, this Shabbos. However, this week is Parsha's Nusso. Nusso is 176 psukim long, 176 verses. It is also the amount of verses in the longest parak in Tehillim. Did you know that? Yes. Psalms chapter 119 is 176, um, 176 verses long. Interestingly enough, when you learn Gemara, Bava Basra, the longest tractate in the Talmud, guess how many folios it is? That's right. 176. Coinkinink? I don't think so. But I'm not going to get too deep into that because I don't have any deeper explanation. It's just fascinating that the longest Parsha is 176, the longest chapter in Tehillim is 176, and the longest tractate in the Talmud is 176. In this week's Parsha, we're going to cover, there's, there's so much to cover in this week's Parsha. There's the counting of the Levites in the beginning of the Parsha. There is the sending out of the unclean from the tent, from the, from the camp. There is the, uh, there's certain... Carbonos that you got to bring. There's the story of the Sota, the uh, woman who has gone astray and has uh, secluded herself with strange men. We talked about that last week. You can find it on Torah anytime under Suspicious Women. Uh, that's the name of the class. It's like 
deep dive into a member of suspicious women and and something else. I don't remember what the other, the other phrase is, so you can find that. It's a whole class talking about Sota, the fascinating topic of the woman who goes astray and the Torah system for determining her guilt or innocence in infidelity. And then we have also, we talk about the, 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 the law of the Nazarite. And we talk about the, uh, there's the, the blessing of the Kohanim. I mean, this, this thing just goes on and on. And then we finally get to the various tribal leaders bringing their offerings, which we all know the Torah repeats again and again, and 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 again and again. That's right. That's exactly how many times the Torah repeats the tribal leader offerings because the Torah wants to give every single tribal leader his time in the sun and his importance because to God, they're just as important. When you daven in Shul and your neighbor is davening in Shul next to you, you're no less important than he and he no less important than you. To God, we are all his children and he wants to hear from all of us. So, so too, we have that repetition at the end. Let's try to put a theme together. I want, oh, before I continue forward, I want to say, unfortunately, this morning, one of our members who, uh, who, used, to, who used to come to our class uh, passed away. And um, that is, uh, his name was Shlomo Baruch Ben Yosef Laser. Um, and his name was Mr. Darmon. No. Oh. Brain freeze. Um, he was Lynn Blavin's father-in-law. And sorry, father, father. And he used to come with Lynn Blavin often. He would come sometimes with his daughter. He would come with his wife. Um, he was there for, 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 he came for months and months. He came all the time and uh, he passed away. Um, and he, we want to do the learning for his Aliyah Neshama. All the learning that we do today should be for an Aliyah of his Neshama. Um, and I will find out for you his last name in a moment. And I will say it, but uh, we don't know any details yet on his funeral, but he will, um, he was, he passed away this morning and he had been to dozens and dozens and dozens of our classes together when we were meeting pre-COVID and even post-COVID, he, there were many times where he came on the Zooms. So Baruch Dayan MS is Neshama's in Shemayim right now. I'm sure he's listening to our class like he loved to do when he was alive. And uh, the learning that we all do together today should be a Aliyah for his Neshama. Yes, I did say Lynn Blavin's father. Unfortunately, Lim Blavin's father. Um, okay, I, I, I'll get you his his, um, his English name um, in, in a moment. But Amir uh, Hashem, he should his neshama should have an aliyah, and our learning should be as chus for him. Okay, now let's try. To, I, I would like to first uh, posit an idea put forth by Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs. Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs has a thread that he uses to connect much of this week's Torah portion, right? Because we've got so many disparate elements in this week's 176. Sheldon Dolberg, correct. Hi, thank you very much. Sheldon Dolberg. Okay. Um, so again, Sheldon Dolberg, Shlomo, Baruch, and Yosef Laser. This should be an Eloy for his neshama, both whatever we're learning right now in real live Zoom class and whoever listens to this later any audio or video format. Okay. It should be an Neshama. Okay. So Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs has such a fascinating idea. He talks about envy, right? Envy, unfortunately, is one of the human emotions that can't be escaped. 
if you go back to the beginning of time, if you go back to Adam and Chava, you go back to Adam and Eve, the, the, the Medrash tells us that the reason why the snake, the reason why the snake, the serpent, this external embodiment of evil decided to start up with Eve was because the snake was jealous of Adam and Eve having intimacy together. He saw that they had a husband and wife, they had, they had, a, they had a partnership and he was jealous of them. And that's why he tried to start up with Eve. When Eve was not impressed, when Eve was not impressed, what, what happened? When Eve was not impressed, he uses jealousy to get Eve to eat from the fruit. How did that happen? He's like, look, this fruit is really good. And she's like, yeah, yeah, God said no. And he's like, oh, but you know, she sees, he, he's, she's, she's not impressed until finally he says, but if you eat it, then you could be like God. And she says, wait, 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 wait a second. What? I could be like God. I could also drive a Ferrari. I could also have a nice car. I could also have a nice house. Why didn't you say so? Pass the apple, right? So if you look at the language, um, she originally says to the, 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 the Nachash says to the woman, the serpent says to the woman, um, the, the God said, you can't eat anything. And she says, no, 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 we can eat all the fruits. We just can't eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the Nachash says to the woman, nothing's going to happen to you. Don't worry. She's like, ah, no, thanks. And then he says further, he says, because he knows, God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And she's like, okay, my eyes open, so I'll be a little bit more intelligent. You know what I'm saying? I don't feel uncomfortable by my intelligence anyway. Again, first step is don't worry, it's okay. Nothing bad is gonna happen. She's unimpressed. Step number two, he says that God knows that the day that you eat from it, you're gonna be, your eyes are gonna be open. You're gonna be so much wiser. And she's like, yeah, whatever. Wise is overrated. Wisdom is overrated. But then he has to go with the final salvo. And then he says, and he's gonna, you are going to be able to be like a god. And she's like, whoa, 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 hold on. Let's go. Let's eat from it. So she, he, the snake, who got involved in this endeavor out of jealousy, uses jealousy to try to bait Chava into eating it. And again, he first tries to give her other reasons. Don't be afraid. It's going to be fine. Don't worry. No one, nothing happens to you if you steal. Like, you know, we have all these things. It's okay if you steal. Nothing happens to you if you're... All these things that the, the first line of, so to speak, defense is people telling you nothing will happen if you do something wrong. Because we have a natural fear of doing the wrong thing. So the first line of the nachash is nothing's going to happen to you. Don't worry about it. She's like, no, not impressed. He offers her a benefit. You're going to be wise. Not impressed. You're going to be like God. Oh, I could be like him that I'm jealous of. I'm going to be able to have what he has and I don't have. Okay, now I'm in. So envy is one of the, the is the, mo the, the earliest, the beginning of the all human sin comes from envy. Now, fascinatingly, the reason the Bali Musar, the, 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 the masters of Musar, of self-development, they say the reason why we have envy is because without envy, there's good envy and there's bad envy. Bad envy is I want what he has, and I don't want I don't want him to have the big house on the block. I want to have the big house on the block, right? So I don't want him to have it. I want to have it. And then there's the good envy. We're like, wow, that guy's so kind. He's so nice to his wife. He's so kind to his children. He spends so much time with them. He gives so much charity. I want to be like him. That's good envy. But good envy could also mean like I see people being successful, so I want to get out and be productive in the world. 
and make a difference in the world so that I can be successful too. I see other people reaping the benefits of hard work and effort, and I want to reap those same benefits of hard work and effort too. So I'm going to put in whatever I've got to put in to make it happen. The Bali Muslims say, if not for envy, everyone would just sit on a couch and just do nothing all day. Well, they wouldn't have a couch because who would have made the couch? Nobody would have made the couch because the couch manufacturer would be sitting on his Wait, no, he doesn't have a couch either. Nobody, we would just be laying on the ground, okay? We'd be laying on the ground, eating whatever fruit we can forage. No one would work, no one would toil, no one would put in any extra effort. It's important that we have gumption in life, that we have ambition, that we have drive. And part of that is where jealousy comes in. So jealousy has a positive effect on the world, but also has a negative effect on the world, of course. Now, Moshe... being the leader of the Jewish people, at this point, we've just had the tabernacle built. And we are now going to have the Jewish people in the desert for a long time. And people are going to have different positions in society. There are going to be people who are going to be successful, and there are going to be people who are not as successful. There are going to be people who are making it, and there are going to be people who don't make it. There are going to be people who are going to get increased opportunities and there are people who are not going to get increased opportunities. And Moshe recognizes that there's going to be a lot of jealousy available. And in this week's Parsha, Moshe heads off that jealousy. Let's go through a few of the different types of jealousies that what might be had. In general, the higher you go in positions of power, the more their jealousy takes place, right? Meaning... There's not an enormous, you know, let's say, let's say, let's say you go in like a corporate structure, right? So let's take, uh, I don't know, Walmart, okay? Let's take Walmart. So Walmart uh, has many, many employees from the CEO uh, all the way to the stock boy, okay? I don't know what the beginning uh, starting, starting job at, at Walmart is. Maybe it's the, wall, it's, it's the, uh, the uh, what do you call it? The um, shopping cart stacker, right? So you have the shopping cart stacker, the wall, the stock boy, stock girl, stock person, stock person, right? So you've got many different jobs. The higher you get up to the top, the more the jealousy occurs because you're dealing with people who are more successful, people who have fought to get where they are, people who got to where they are, they were promoted to get there by dint of their efforts or, or, or their degrees or whatever it is. So as you get closer and closer to the C-suite, as you get closer and closer to the executive positions, the vultures are circling more clearly, right? When it comes to people, if your job is to stock, you know, aisles 42 and 43, and the next guy over to you, his job is to stock 41 and 40, there's not a lot of jealousy. Oh, it's not fair. How come he got to stock 40 and 41, and I have to stock 40 and 40, 42 and 43? 42 and 43 has much more small items, and 40 and 41 have bigger items, you know, like whatever it is. And the other guy says back, yeah, but my items are heavier than it. There's no question about it. The grass is always greener on the other side. But the closer you get to the top, the more you have the people who are more jealous. The tribe of Levi, they are the leaders of the Jewish people after the story of the golden calf. When Moshe saw the Jewish people serving the golden calf. And he said, who wants to be on God's team? Come to me, me, la, shem, elai. But yes, we love, kol, b'nei, levi. 
The entire tribe of Levi came. None of them had served the golden calf, and they were all ready to fight for godliness. They all said, I'm on team God. And because of that, the tribe of Levi was given many positions of greatness in the Jewish people. So there might be a little sense of jealousy over there. Let's see, where else might there be jealousy? You have tribal leaders, right? You have people who got picked to very high positions. We're going to see later that according to some opinions, the reason why the, the uh, tribal leaders gave bad reports with the spies, which I don't want to give away too much, but it's coming up. We're in the book of Numbers. There's going to be a story where the spies go into Israel and they come back. And I don't want to say too much, but they may not give a rosy report. And according to some opinions, the reason why they didn't give a rosy report is because they said, if we go into Israel, we're no longer going to be the leaders of our tribes. They wanted to maintain their positions of authority. Speaking of maintaining their positions of authority, right? You know, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's a certain, there's, a, there's certain people in, 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 uh, in the Middle East, if they get voted in, they just suspend all elections. Right now, with some of the craziness that's going on in Israel, how did it all start? Officially, the PLO said they were going to have elections. They hadn't, they hadn't had elections in 14 years, right? People don't want to give up their positions of power once they get into them. Of course, democracy demands that we have that, but these are not all democratic states. So the PLO, the Fatah, which is the, what controls the West Bank, they hadn't had elections in 14 years. Not, mind you, neither has Hamas. They have not had elections either since they took control in 2006 or 2007. So we're talking about not very democratic places. People who are leaders don't want to give up their leadership positions. And those are people who are more likely to be jealous, to be uh, very, very concerned about their positions of power. That's another group of people. And then somehow you always have those individuals. Those individuals, you don't know where they're coming from. You don't know like why this particular person feels aggrieved, right? I mean, today we have an entire industry of, of, of grievances, right? You tell me what's wrong in your life, and I'll tell you why everybody else did wrong to get you there, right? That's the, uh, that's the new therapist today, right? You know, they're like the, ther the, the millennial therapist is a guy. You come to him, you sit down, you tell him what's wrong in your life, and he tells you who to blame. Because like, you're not sure. Like, I keep getting drunk and waking up late and missing job interviews. Yeah, it's those, those, those manufacturers of the alcohol. They make it look so good, and they make all those advertisements. They're purposely trying to hurt our entire generation. You're like, whatever it is, oh, you drink too much alcohol. Is it because of self-care? Do you feel traumatized? And it's like, basically, there's always going to be some individual out there who feels aggrieved, feels like I didn't get what was coming to me. We're going to see later. We're going to see about Korach, right? So there's going to always be those individuals. So again, there's random individuals throughout the people that feel like I should have been given more recognition. I should have been given more honor, more accolade, more leadership. And then you have the actual leadership, the leadership of the tribal lady. The leadership is the, the, uh, the tribal leaders. These are the people who are most likely to feel the most intense jealousies, the most intensely that they've been slighted. They weren't given the opportunity to climb up. They deserved this raise. They deserved this promotion in the company. And you picked somebody else. How often does that create massive animosity in a company when somebody else gets picked for the raise and the promotion? And people, instead of saying, wow, I should just work a little bit harder and hopefully I'll get the next raise. They say, it's not, it's not fair. It's nepotism. It's this, it's that. Who did they get a million reasons? So Moshe Rabbeinu is now setting up the Jewish people for the future. And he wants to make sure that we don't have this insidious jealousy. 
because it can tear a society apart. When we're always looking at what other people have, okay? And again, it, it, it's really, it, it's, it's incredible right now. Like it's, we, this focus on like stripping the wealthy of all their wealth or whatever, like, I don't care. I really, I mean, the wealthy in America right now are giving, right? 40, the, the top 1% of America is giving about 40, 50% of all federal proceeds, meaning about 40 to 50% of what the federal government takes in as taxes, it's taking in from the top 1%, right? They're giving tremendous amounts. And again, I don't want to get into the whole nitty gritty, more taxes, less, but the point is the focus. We got to take more from them. We got to take more from them. So what do you do? How do you inspire people to be happy with what they have and to appreciate what they have and not to constantly be seeking after and searching for and trying to get what other people have? And especially, like we said, when it comes to leadership and it comes to positions of power and influence, tribal leaders, the tribe of Levi, those specific individuals that always feel like, but I'm better than and I'm not getting recognized. So Moshe does something fascinating. You know what you do when you want to placate people who feel like they haven't been given enough? Give them a job and give them a title. Again, give them a job and give them a title. I have a friend of mine who's got a large company, not a large, actually not a large company, a mid-sized company, 40 to 50 employees. And right now, as you well know, it's almost impossible for people to find employees. You could talk to anybody who's, who's anybody who's got a business and, and almost anybody will tell you that they're desperate to be able to hire more employees. It's a common theme. I've spoken to people. I went out for lunch. One guy told me I need 35 employees. <laughs> I met with another friend of mine. He's like, I need 70 employees. People are, are desperate to hire right now. And people don't want to lose the employees they have. But at a certain point, you can't just pay everybody more and more and more and more. There's not that much more money in the business. We're talking about small businesses, small, medium-sized businesses. It's not like they're just making that much more money right now. Everyone just says, give them more money. It's the, let them eat cake, right? There is no cake, right? There's no brioche, right? The real phrase was not let them eat cake for the record, Right. Mary Antoinette did not say let them eat cake. She said let them eat brioche. Brioche was a very rich and uh, royal kind of bread, right? They said they ran out of bread. Let them eat brioche, right? But sometimes there just ain't any more cake to feed, right? These are small businesses that are often struggling to come off the pandemic. They don't have money to just pay their people more. So someone told me he did something fascinating. He gave people titles. Like one person, he had an employee that was very dedicated, very hardworking, and she just wanted to be recognized. So he said, you know what? She was really good with, um, with, uh, with cars, okay? With like automotive stuff. She had worked for an automotive company before. She had worked for a mechanic, whatever it was. So he said, you know what? You are the master of the fleet, okay? I mean, this, this business has a, has a bunch of, yeah, a bunch of cars, whatever they have. So he said to her, you are the master of the fleet. And she was so appreciative. She was so appreciative to be given that job, to be given that recognition. It's not always about the money. Give people opportunities for leadership and give them a job. Give them something to do. People who are in leadership positions are usually there because they want to be leaders. They want to do, they want to act. And if you can't give somebody money and you can't always just give people more and more money, give them a title and give them a responsibility. In this world, sometimes you reward people by giving them responsibilities. 
We as human beings feel better when we're active, when we're doing things, when we're proactive, when people are relying on us. We feel better when we have responsibilities. We don't want to be without anything in our lives, in our days to do. We want our days to be full. We want our days to be meaningful. So give somebody a job, give them a title. You are the master of the fleet. You have to make sure that all the cars and all the vans and all the trucks or whatever they have, that you know the tires are good and the transmission fluid has been changed and the windshield wiper fluid and the oil changes are happening in the right times and, and so on and so forth. And this guy told me this person is so appreciative for the opportunity. And she's constantly sending him updates on the fleet. She's named all the vehicles. <laughs> she's named all the vehicles. She's got them all. She's got names for them and she's taking care of them. And it's like, and she's happy. She's proud. She was given recognition. She has a skill that most people don't have. She has the ability. She knows about cars. She knows about vehicles. And now she is the master of the fleet. You know, when I moved to town, which now goes back quite a long time. I've been in town now in Detroit, Baruch Hashem, for 16 years almost. It will be 16 years at the end of the summer. I moved here in, in the summer of 2005, which is just crazy, 16 years. I've been in Detroit longer than I've been anywhere else in my life. The most I've ever been living in a city before Detroit was 11 years. And now I'm close to 16 years in Detroit. So I guess I'm more of a Detroiter than anything else, right? So I've been here for 16 years, Kinahara. When I first moved here, okay, when I first moved here, I didn't know which show to go to. Where should I dive in? So I felt like this is a real cool opportunity. I'm new in the community. I don't have any responsibilities to any place. Let me go to different shows. Let me go and see where I fit. So I went from show to show to show. The first couple shops is I literally like I tried out a lot of different shows. I ended up settling on a show that was just getting started right then. It's called Avas Olam. It was run, it still is run by an amazing Rav, Rabbi Simcha Klein. And it was started by uh, the, the, the Rav and he had Ben Siasroff with him, very big community leader, another guy, Gabi Grossbart. And they were starting out a new show. And one of the things that I found so attractive about this new show is that it really gave me an opportunity to be involved. Every member really counted because, you know, one guy would be charged setting up the tables and one guy, like there was no, it wasn't like a show that had been around for, for hundreds and hundreds of years and they got a staff and they got an endowment and they got a trust fund and they got a, and just custodial staff and rabbinical staff and clergy. It was what we call FUBU, for us, by us. It was a bunch of guys and a rabbi and he was young. We were all young and we were getting started. You can make a difference. It so happens to be right now, I'm in another show, that show moved away from me. Uh, I'm, I'm part of another show also right now. Another, same exact situation. It's a young show and it's just getting started and people can make a real difference. One guy is in charge of the Shalashudas. And here I'm going to call, <laughs> here I'm going to call out Mr. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, where are we? Where are we? Do you guys see me? Here we are. Okay, sorry about that. Okay. I'm sorry about that. Um, here we go. Here we go. High Saffron. Okay, so High Saffron is in charge of the Shal Shudas. And every week he comes up 
with these incredibly creative, amazing different ways to tie the food that he puts out to the parsha. So like I remember the week that we were learning about saras, the saras of the house, which is like red blotches and green blotches. He found some kind of chips, they're like tortilla chips, but they had like, I don't know, like beets and, and, I don't, and, and spinach or whatever it was. It was literally like tortilla chips with red and green splotches. I mean, it, it's amazing. He comes up with such creative ways to bring the parsha into the food and he, and he puts it out and people walk into show. The first thing they walk up is they walk up to the table and there's like a little sign there and it's got all the different connections to all the foods. There's like part, like sukkim from the parsha connecting shalashudis to the, the food that we're eating. And, and, and it's, a, it's a great, and you know what? I, and he says here, it's tasty too and healthy. Hi, <laughs> Zephyr, there we go. It's tasty and healthy. But how amazing is it to feel like I've got this role, two other people in our show, they took it upon themselves to be in charge of the Kiddushim, right? So they're in charge of the Kiddush, the setup, the buying, the food, whatever it is. Different people are in charge. We all make a difference in the show. And every single person, one person's in charge of the, of the tablecloth, and one person's in charge of the setup, and one person's in charge of the kiddush, and one person's the treasurer, and one person. The bottom line is, when you have the opportunity to be part of something, it's meaningful, it's powerful. That is its own reward. It's not about money. As a matter of fact, people will come to your shul just to be given a job, just to be given an opportunity to make a difference, be part of something. Moshe realizes there are people who are going to want to have positions of leadership and they're going to have, what's my position? What do I do? What's, where, where do I fit? Let me give you all something to do. The tribe of Levi, let me split you all up. You're going to carry this and you're going to carry that. The tribe, you know, the Gershon, Kahas, and Merari and the different groups of the, of the, uh, of the Levian. One of them is in charge of carrying the Aron, the Ark, and the Menorah, and the Shulchan, and the other one is in charge of carrying all the tapestries and the the wraps and the and the and the um, the curtains that were above as a that went above the tabernacle as a roof. And one of them is in charge of carrying all the heavy beams and putting them on wagons. And some of them got two wagons, and some of them got four wagons, and some of them got, got no wagons. Each one depending on what they had to do. But they were all given a very specific task. This is you. This is what you're in charge of. And then you have the tribal leaders. Let's make sure every one of you gets a day in the sun. Every one of you will get one day where the whole service is focused on you and the carbon that you bring, the offering that you bring. And in the Torah, we're going to repeat it and go through it and mention it. Six verses for each person again and 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 again. Boom. Why? Because we want everyone to know that they are important. We're going to enumerate what you did. We're going to talk about what you brought to the table. What about those individuals? What about those individuals who are not tribal leaders and they're not from the tribe of Levi? They're not in the C-suite. They're not in the executive team. They're not even in the management team, but they feel like they have what to contribute. There's a whole mitzvah for them too. The mitzvah of Nazir. The mitzvah of Nazir says if you feel like you are at a high level of holiness or you feel like you want to get to a high level of holiness, but there's no particular carve out for you, you're not a Kohen, 
You're not a priest. You don't get to bring the services in the temple and bring the offerings. And you're not a Levite. You don't get to sing. What's your job? Now, of course, there actually was something called the, the Maimid, which was... So you had Kohanim, Levim, and Yisraelim. The Israelim were split up into 24. The, 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 Israel, the Kohanim were split up into 24 groups that would serve in the temple. And then there was the Israelites were split up into 24 groups that would come and be custodians, so to speak, on behalf of the Jewish people, making sure that the service was done properly. And they had a whole service where they came to Jerusalem and they prayed and the whole thing. But again, that was a very small percentage of the Jewish people because there was 24 groups and there was, you know, there was, again, there was 24 groups of Kohanim. There was 24 groups of Yisraelim. But the amount of Yisraelim compared to the amount of Kohanim, there was 12 tribes of Israel, and the Kohanim were only a, like a small fraction of the tribe of Levite, whereas the Yisraelim were way bigger in number in general. Right? If you look at the actual censuses, they were way bigger in number. And uh, they, there was not that many opportunities. If you were not like a hush of a person, if you were not like some kind of rabbi with a big name recognition, you probably were not going to be doing the Maimid. You probably were not going to be one of the people chosen to go to Jerusalem and stand on behalf of the Jewish people, making sure that the service was done properly. What does Moshe say? You feel special? You feel holy? Go right ahead. Take upon yourselves the laws of the Nazarite. Take upon yourself extra restrictions. Take upon yourself extra mitzvahs. Don't shave. Don't cut your hair. Don't come close to dead bodies. Separate yourself from wine, right? Separate yourself from, basically make yourself more holy by the things that you do. Understand that positions of leadership are not given, they're earned. You want to be special? You know how you can be special? By being special, by taking on more responsibility. You want to be a more important member of your community? Be a more important member of your community. You know how? By taking on more responsibility. You call up your show and you say, is there anything that I can do? I know we've got a dinner coming up. Do you need somebody to stuff envelopes? Do you need somebody to send out invitations? Do you need somebody to co collect responses? Do you need somebody to make phone calls? What, what can I do? You want to be a leader? Be a leader. How? By stepping up. Not by saying people should recognize me for what I'm great at. No, by actually doing what you're great at, and then you will be recognized. So Moshe Rabbeinu in this week's Torah portion says, says where my Lord Jonathan Sachs teaches, teaches us this incredible, incredible lesson. You want to be great? Be great. How do you be great? By stepping up and doing what you're really good at. And that will make your greatness. And this way you can prevent a lot of jealousy. If you give people a job, give people a role, Give people a responsibility. So many times we're afraid to give people responsibilities because you know what? If we give them too much responsibilities, they're going to run away. No. When you give people roles and responsibilities and opportunities, they actually feel appreciated. They feel like they're part of the show. They feel like they're part of the community. They feel like they're part of the workforce and they're more likely to stay longer, be more dedicated because they have a special role, specially tailored to who they are. Okay. That is idea number one. Idea number two. In this week's Torah portion, we talk about the princely blessing that was given. Matter of fact, just um, two days ago on Yom Tif, 
And in Eretz Yisrael, every single day we do Berkas Kohanim. And Eretz Yisrael, every day they, they do the Kohanic blessing, the priestly blessing. In America, we only do it on Yom Tiv. But just two days ago, we did that. And the first day of Yom Tiv was Shavuos. I was up all night learning. So I daven by myself in the morning. But uh, there's, there's this thing where people send their kids in. And when the Kohanim are blessing, you're not allowed to look at their hands. Right? You're not supposed to look at the hands of the Kohanim when they're blessing. So the Kohanim put their talus over their hands, but we're supposed to put our talus over our head. And if we have our kids with us, and we put our talus over our kids, make a little tent over there. I remember when I was a kid, I grew up in Cleveland, and I always remember like when I would be there for, for Yom Tiv Davening, my father would put his tent over us and we would sit in there and we would hear Berger's calling him. It was always a very special moment for me. So when I get that opportunity to do that with my kids, when I get my opportunity to, to create a Birkas Kohanim tent over my sons, it's always a very, very special pleasure and nachas and baruch Hashem over Yomtev. I couldn't do it again the first day of Shavuos. We daven very early in the morning. But on the second day of Shavuos, one of my sons wasn't around. He was by uh, playing with cousins, whatever it was. My other son was there. He was in the tent with me. Very gishmak. Okay, now let's read the Psukim by Dabar Hashem Moshe Lemar. And Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Dabar Laron Bel Banav Lemar, speak to Aaron and his children, saying, Ko Sabarchus B'nei Yisrael and Morlehem. So shall you bless the Jewish people. Say to them, Yivarechecha Adonai V'yishmarecha. Hashem should bless you and watch over you. Ya'er Adonai Panav Elecha V'chunecha. Hashem should shine his countenance upon you and give you grace. Yisa Adonai Panav Elecha V'yaseim Lecha Shalom. Hashem should Lift up its face to you, and he shall give you peace. Now, if you notice something interesting, every one of those blessings was actually boop, two blessings. Let's do it again. Hashem, Hashem should bless you. Blessing number one. And watch over you. Hashem should shine his countenance upon you. And he should give you grace. Yisa Hashem Hashem should shine. He should lift up his face to you. That's one blessing. Shalom and give you shalom, give you peace. Okay. So there are six blessings here. How do these blessings interact with each other? Okay, let's go through them one at a time. The sages tell us what this refers to is physical and financial success. You should be given bracha. What is bracha? Bracha is a lot from a little. Bracha is when you have a little, like for example, the Torah says when people follow the Torah, you would eat a little bit and it would be yisbarech b'meav and it would become like a blessing in his stomach. It would, you would eat a little bit and you'd feel full. Instead of having to eat a whole meal, you could literally just eat like a, a, couple, a couple bites of bread and you'd feel like, oh, wow, that was an amazing meal. Ah, that was good. Right? Today, if you do that, you eat two bites of bread and you say that was an amazing meal, people say maybe he's anorexic. Right, uh, but in those days, it, there used to be such a concept that it was misbarech b'meya, right? And what does again bracha means? A lot from a little. So here, the sages tell us when it says yivarecha Hashem, it means that Hashem should bless us with physical and financial blessings. We should be wealthy and prosperous, which Baruch Hashem, the Jewish people, have been throughout the ages, right? There's always been enormous, enormous Jewish wealth, right? Um, you know, everyone, if, if, if you want to, if you want to 
if you want to go down the conspiracy path world, just Google the world Rothschilds, right? So the Rothschilds were at one point the probably the wealthiest family in the world. They were so wealthy that kings and queens would come to them to borrow money. See, today we have this government that believes that the way to make money is by just printing, right? As they say in the crypto world, the money machine go burr, right? I mean, it's just like the printing, burr, just printing, 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 printing. Back in the day, right, kings and queens understood if they just printed more currency, well, first of all, the currency was usually made out of gold and silver, right? And if they tried to just print more paper money, their money would be worthless. They needed something backing it. So if kings and queens needed money, they would go to the Rothschild family to borrow money, right? They wouldn't just print more money because that never, ever, ever, ever works out well for history, right? We are right now, just by the way, in a time where it's incredible the amount of money that's being created out of thin air that we don't have. It's not, we just forget, we just, we don't have any way to even consider how that money is going to be accounted for, right? We're just creating trillions of dollars, trillions of dollars in the last year alone, right? So right now, last year and three months since the pandemic started, one quarter of all dollars ever made was, was made in one year. In, in one year and three months, one quarter of all U.S. dollars ever made were made, okay? Which is just, just crazy. I, I saw a great headline. It was a satire headline. It said, President Biden says he's going to commission a $2 trillion study to learn about what's causing this inflation. <laughs> right? We're going to create a $2 trillion. <laughs> A two trillion dollars because that's a joke. It's like two trillion for this and two trillion for that. Oh, there's a problem with inflation. Let's let's make a two trillion dollar study and try to figure out why this is going right. So the bottom line is, there is uh, we have, we have, we're, we're creating money right now. But back in the day, the kings were smart enough to know that if you just just print money, eventually it's going to turn out really bad. Your currency is going to be devalued, and you're not going to be able to have any proper trade in the world, and it's going to cause some serious serious shockwave effects. So if they needed money, they didn't just print money. They, they went to the Rothschild family to borrow money, right? Even today, if you look at, you know, if you look at the, 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 the list of the richest people in the world, so Elon Musk, I don't believe is Jewish, neither is, um, you know, Bill Gates, but neither is Warren Buffett. But, you know, you got Larry Page and Sergey Brin, the two founders of Google. You've got, uh, you've got Mark Zuckerberg, right? You've definitely, you've got a lot, a lot of very, very successful, successful Jews. So Hashem says, Hashem. Hashem should give you blessings. You should have financial success. And for sure, without a doubt, Jewish people today in America are the most well-off ethnic group, right? The most well-off uh, group of society in terms of earnings is the Jewish people. Second closest group to that is the Japanese. Again, this study was from a long time ago, so I don't know the updated numbers. But at one point, the average Amer uh, American Jewish family or household was making 172% uh, above the, the average American family. And the closest to it was the uh, Japanese, which were like 132%. So they're like 40 percentage points below the, uh, the Jewish family. So Baruch Hashem, we've been very successful. However, we all know that success often breeds envy. That's exactly what we just talked about in the beginning of this class. When people see success, they become envious. And when people are envious, it can cause a lot of bad things, right? So we've seen our share of anti-Semitism. Anti I don't believe Elon, no, Elon, I know his name is Elon. It sounds like a, he's not an Israeli, no. He's, just, he's South African, and I, I'm almost sure I looked it up. I don't, I don't think he's Jewish. If someone knows otherwise, please tell me. But anyway, um, the bottom line is, is that 
the um, Hashem says, Yivarecha Hashem, if Hashem is going to give you a lot of financial success in the world, then Yishmarecha. We ask Hashem to safeguard us, to protect us. Because people who are successful are often attacked for their success, whether it's by people who want to outright steal their stuff, or it's by people who are jealous of them, whatever it is, people who are successful are often attacked for their success by people who don't want to put in the work to become successful. But again, who usually attacks those who are successful? The people who don't want to put in the work to become successful themselves. We talked about this last time. We talked about it from a moral perspective, Harsinai. We talked about the, the imbalance. When people see other people being more moral than them, they often want to attack them. They could just say, why don't you become more moral yourself? That's a lot of hard work. I might as well just attack the people who are morally superior to me and make them out to be terrible people. And the same thing goes for financial success. When people are successful financially, the, the best thing you should do is say, wow, look at those people. I want to be financially successful. Let me see what they do. Wow, they work so hard. Wow, they get college degrees. Wow, they, they do. They put in all this effort. Let me do that too. Or you could just say, let's tear down the rich, right? So therefore, Hashem. Hashem should bless you with financial success. However, he should guard over you. He should protect you. You shouldn't be attacked for it. Your home shouldn't be invaded. You shouldn't be attacked in, in any way, uh, whether it's in society, in culture, physically attacked, financially robbed, etc., etc. That is step number one. Yo'er Hashem panov elecha vichuneka, right? The we say Yo'er Hashem panov elecha vichuneka. Hashem, sh we should should shine His countenance upon you, and He should give you grace. What does this mean? So whenever we talk about Hashem's light, okay, what we're talking about is we're talking about the wisdom of Torah in the tabernacle and in the temple. There was a vessel called the menorah. The menorah was that which lit up the temple, right? So, of course, it didn't need light. There was no windows, but the temple was always lit up. The temple was always bright and beautiful, and it, it didn't need the light. Hashem could make his own house shine all the time. But the, the candelabra, the menorah, represented the idea of godly wisdom coming into the world. As a matter of fact, in the temple, and if you look at the way it worked in the, in the medieval times, if you look at medieval castles, often the windows will be very, very small slits. And the reason for that was they were always afraid of archers, right? Meaning whenever they would be attacked, the people would run to the castle for safety. So then there would be the archers who were trying to shoot arrows at the castle. So a lot of times you'll see castle windows are very thin, small slits. They often will have a little hole in the middle so that you could shoot back through there. So those little thin, small slits, but Inside the window, the window gets wider and wider to let the light in as much as possible, right? So the idea is the light comes in from this thin, small slit, but then it branches out. And the tabernacle was the opposite. On the inside, it was a thin, small window, but it branched out saying, we want the light from in here to branch out to the world. In a regular castle, they want the light from outside, the sunlight, to branch out into the room. So they make the window wide on the inside, thin on the outside. In the tabernacle, it was the opposite, thinner on the inside, wider on the outside. We want the light of the menorah, the light of godly wisdom, to light up the outside world. Again, that's why the whole story of the Greeks, the Greeks were philosophers. They loved wisdom. That's why they had such trouble with our menorah. And that's why the whole miracle of Hanukkah is with the menorah specifically, because that was the vessel that represented wisdom, and the Greeks were the ones who were trying to claim wisdom for themselves. Now, 
Hashem, when we talk about Hashem shining his face upon us, what does that mean? Hashem's shine, Hashem's light. The word Yair is to make light. Hashem's light is the wisdom of the Torah. And this idea is that Hashem is going to shine his light upon us. And indeed, our job is to be what? A light unto the nations, like the moon, right? The moon reflects the sun onto this earth and gives us guidance at night. What's the job of the moon? The first mitzvah the Jewish people were given, the very first mitzvah the Jewish people were given was be like the moon, right? Start, change your calendars over to moon, lunar calendars because the moon reflects the greater light of the sun and gives people a way to travel through dark areas. Our job is to be the light unto the nations. And Ar Lagoyim says the Navi in Isaiah. What does that mean? We should reflect all the godly light that we get from Sinai, that we get from our Torah and our traditions, and we should reflect it into the world and give the world the ability to shine in so much darkness. And by the way, Jewish people have radically changed the way the whole world looks at morality. We are the ones who introduced monotheism to a polytheistic world. And today, half the world is monotheistic. Who introduced that? The Jewish people. The idea that killing is wrong, and it sounds so crazy, of course killing is wrong, right? No, no, no. Back in the day, in the great wisdom of the Greeks, remember, who, who, where is the other great wisdom coming from? You've got Eastern wisdom, right, and philosophy, and you've got Western wisdom. Western wisdom comes from Western civilization, which is what? Greece and Rome. In Greece and Rome, they killed children for being born female, literally. Literally, right? They didn't want females, especially in the Greek times. The primary form of, of intimacy was between men. The women were just seen as like, well, we need factory, baby factories, so we got to keep some women alive. We have the records of cities in Greece where the ratio of male to females was seven to one because they, they practiced female infanticide, right? China practiced female infanticide or just female killing of children in general, but more girls than boys. The idea of respecting the dignity of human life, that's a Judeo-Christian value. That's what we call it, Judeo-Christian. It means a Jewish value that the Christians co-opted. The idea of the scholar being more venerated than the warrior. These are Jewish ideas. The ideal of peace. We all think that world peace is such a great thing. Ask any, anybody. You know, we all want world peace. And what we're doing to get there is a whole different kind of conversation. But the ideal of world peace, where does that come from? Go to the, the, I, the UN, which, by the way, is not a place that brings peace to the world right now, right? The UN is not a place. The UN has got to be one of the most corrupt bodies in the world. It just shows you that we live in times close to Mashiach because, like, on the Human Rights Commission of, of like, the UN, we have countries that, like, execute homosexuals and, 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 and don't allow women to drive and, like, crazy, crazy stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, like the greatest human rights violators are on the human rights, the, the UN Human Rights Commission. Just, we live in a crazy world. But when the UN was made, it was made with the goal of bringing peace to the world. So when they needed inspiration to carve into their building, they found it in Isaiah. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not wage war against nation and they will no longer learn war. Where does that come from? That's a puzzle from Isaiah. When the world needs to understand why we should have peace as an ideal, because until now, conquest was the ideal. 
Might equals right was the ideal. So the ideal of being peace, that you shouldn't just randomly conquer people because they're weaker than you. That's a Jewish ideal. We changed the whole wide world. We definitely lit up the world. What does it say? So we, However, here's the problem. The problem is the minute you give somebody a little shred of godly light, they could pervert it terribly. Throughout history, how many peoples have claimed to create a new form of Judaism that was more right than before and was actually false? Let's start with Christianity, right? Christianity, the New Testament. That's, that, that's supposed to be the New Testament of God to the Jewish people. It's literally supposed to be the New Bible. And then you have the last prophet, Muhammad. And even today, within the Jewish world, how many people are claiming rights to the Torah and espousing views that are 100% antithetical to the Torah? When God gives you his light, when God gives you that flashlight, you can use it. You can, you can use that power in some very negative ways. So Hashem says, we say in this Pasuk, Ya'er Hashem panavelecha, Hashem should shine his countenance, Hashem should give you his wisdom, bichunecha, and he should give you grace. The amazing thing about the Torah is that the grace of the Torah is that it will only lie with those who carry it faithfully. When people try to make false Torahs, it doesn't stick with our people. People who follow false ideologies, even within Torah, it doesn't stay. It doesn't stay. The history of the Jewish people is littered, littered with hundreds of offshoot movements. The Karaites and the Sadducees and so many other groups that have come up and tried to co-opt and take away our Torah and turn it into what they want it to be. But they were never given grace. The Jewish history, the history of the Jewish people always goes down through those who cling and those who Cling, those who cling to the Torah, it's a tree of life to those who hold on to it. But the minute you start espousing views that are antithetical to Torah, you will not be able to hold on to your people. Even within Judaism today, there are movements that are espousing ideas that are antithetical to Torah. And guess what? If the children don't leave the fold, the grandchildren leave the fold, unfortunately. And if the grandchildren don't leave the fold, the great-grandchildren leave the fold. It's almost impossible to find people who can say that, yes, uh, my family has been proud members of an ideology that's not part of Torah for the last five generations. It doesn't happen. They leave. There's no grace. God does not give his grace to something that's not true Torah. And that's an incredible gift that God has given. God says, I'll give you this amazing light of my wisdom, but I'm going to only give it grace when it's done properly. Literally almost means that Hashem should give us favoritism. The Gemara asks, how can we say a bracha that Hashem should give us favoritism? There's a verse that says, Hashem is a true God. He's not going to show favoritism and he's not going to take bribes. So how can we make a blessing that Hashem should Hashem should take, he should give us favoritism? Again, the verse says, Hashem is a true God. He's low yisa upon him. He will not show favoritism, but low yikach shokhat, and he won't take bribes. But yet we say of a, a blessing, yisa Hashem panavelechot. Hashem, Hashem should show you favoritism. How does this work? Answers the Gemara. Answers the Gemara that we show Hashem favoritism. We go above and beyond with the mitzvot. The example the Gemara gives is that we only have to make, we only have to bench the full birkat amazon if we eat enough of a meal to be full. 
But we, even if, if we eat as much smaller amount, we say the full blessings because we want to bless God. We go above and beyond for God. So God going above and beyond for us is not favoritism. It's what makes sense because we've gone above and beyond for him. So he in turn goes in above and beyond for us. But the problem is whenever you show somebody favoritism, that's where jealousy comes. And that's why we say, Hashem should give us peace. Hashem should watch over us. Hashem should make sure that despite the jealousy of the nations, which we talked about last time again with Har Sinai, Har Olam, when we get this greater sense of moral duty and moral passage in the world, people will become jealous of us when people see that God favors the Jewish people, which he clearly has. Look at history and see the effect the Jewish people have had on the world, not just the physical, the, the, the spiritual world, but the physical world. The Wall Street Journal did a special discussing who were the three people at the end, in 1999, as the 20th century was coming to a close, the Wall Street Journal did a three-part series on who were the three people that had the greatest effect on the entire 20th century global effect. And the three people they came up with were Karl Marx, Sigmund Freud, and Einstein, all Jews. Hashem is, again, they weren't necessarily espousing spiritual beliefs, but we've had an incredible, incredible outsized effect on the world Hashem has showed us incredible favoritism because we show him favoritism. But sometimes that can lead to jealousy and to war. So we say, Hashem should give us peace. Which we now come to a close. Right now we've got... I, uh, I don't see... I don't know if Cheryl is on still. But uh, from Israel, she usually is on. She's No, Sherry Orbach, she's still there. She's there. She's in Israel. You saw before she had her camera on, had the Israeli flag in the background. Our brethren in Israel are right now going through a very, very difficult time. And it is our bracha, it is our tefillah, it's our blessing, and it's our deep, deeply held prayer. Hashem, Yivarech, Atamova, Shalom. Hashem should give us the blessing of peace, the blessing that always comes at the end of everything. The end of benching is by Hashem, Yivarech, Atamova, Shalom. Every single davening ends with... We, we, daven, we finish every single davening with, with the words that, that Hashem should bless us all with please. All we daven for, every single thing we finish, we finish with peace. Our benching, our davening, our quiet monastery, the, the, the together davening. We always, always, always are davening for peace. May Hashem give us incredible, incredible peace. As my mother says here, may Hashem expand peace throughout Israel and the world. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for listening. And I will now open up the...